Good morning. It's good to see each one this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're certainly glad that you're here and hope that you'll come back and be with us once again. The book of Psalms is one of the most read books of the whole Bible. And reason is, the book of Psalms gives a lot of comfort to people. Many of the Psalms written by David deal with comfort, deal with his love for God, deals with his asking for forgiveness, and so on and so forth. This morning we're going to be looking at the first Psalm, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 1, a contrast between right and wrong. If you have your Bibles, if you go ahead and open to the first Psalm, this is one of my favorite Psalms. I love the way that it's worded. And as David starts out, he says, Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Oftentimes, we may just read over something and not really look into it too deeply. But then there are times we need to stop and really look and see what God's Word says. And looking at the contrast between right and wrong as we will see as we go through this psalm, there is not only the fact of looking at the child of God, but also, as the psalmist says here, looking at the ungodly. Now the word blessed in the very first of verse 1, that word means happy. Yes, we are aware of the word blessed, and oftentimes we look at it as what we receive from God. And rightly so. Because God has blessed us. He has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. But God has blessed us not only with these things, but with the ability to be happy about serving Him. We are not void of emotions. And although emotions do not show one's dedication to God in the right way, it does show one's emotional state, one's emotional side of humanity. God has created us as emotional beings, intellectual beings, and physical beings. But yet, we are to have the right emotions based on truth. And that's what I think is one of the most important things that we can learn from the first psalm. But as he says here, blessed is the man. Happy is the person who is serving God. Happy is the person who dedicates his life to God as compared to those who choose not to serve God. He goes on to talk about how this person, this child of God, conducts his life. As he says, the man that uh, is a man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor does he stand in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scornful. His actions in life, his dedication in life are contrary to sin. Now does that mean that a child of God does not sin? No. But there is a difference in committing a sin and living a life of sin. We see the world that lives a life of sin. It's around us all the time. There's no way that we can escape the things that are around us. But after all, God did not tell us to escape the world, to be isolated, to we're not part of the world. One of the commands for us as Christians is to take the gospel into all the world. 
to help people understand the gospel and obey it. We could not do that if we're isolated. I guess it started maybe in this country in the 60s. I may not be exactly correct on that, uh, but in this country anyway, uh, communes to where people would gather people of like beliefs and they would gather as a group and separate themselves basically from society. The only time they would have anything to do with society is when they may need to go into town and get something or whatever, but yet then they would remove themselves and go live their lives. But we as Christians are not that way. We're to be a part of the world in the fact that we live among the world. We're not to be a part of the sin. So the person who is a child of God should be happy in their lives in serving God. As a matter of fact, and people have said it over and over, we should be the happiest people on earth. We understand that all that we have now is temporary. We encounter many hardships in life. We have to go through many things that are not pleasant, but we look at the big picture. We look at the fact that one day we're going to have heaven as our home. That gives us hope. It gives us endurance. It gives us strength to endure these things. I'm sure if I took account of every person in here this morning, I would have that same number of things that would fall into a negative category as far as how people feel, what they're going through. Actually, the number of problems would exceed the number of people because we as individuals oftentimes have several problems in life. It may be uh, something that is not related to religion. It could be related to religion as far as one serves God. But yet we all deal with situations in life. And as the uh, psalmist says, blessed is a man... Happy is the person. Happy is a person who serves God. Does that mean that we walk around on a uh, cloud nine all the time because we're so happy? No. But yet in our hearts and in our lives, we are happy because we have a better place to go. You know, for those of us who are a little bit older, we understand that our days on this earth are fewer than those that are young. And we look at the things that are going on and we make statements such as, you know, I really feel for my children or my grandchildren in the world that they're going to have to deal with. In our lives, we have seen how society has gotten worse. And yet we understand that even when we pass on, those problems still remain. They remain for our loved ones. But we know that our time is limited in this world and we will go on to something much better. So we are happy. When we look at the fact that, as he says in the very first statement, a person that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, what does that mean? It means that that person is not walking in the ways of the world. We're influenced by God and his word rather than the world. Of course, there are those who are pulled back into the world because the influences of the world you can go and read the parable of the sower, and you can see the different soul, uh, different hearts there. And you can see one from a, a very weak heart as far as spirituality, all the way to one's very strong. That is the way it is in life. There are people who have levels of dedication to God. But when we serve God faithfully, we actually find a better place to live, and that's in God's graces. 
We abstain from a sinful life. We choose not to walk with the ungodly, as he talks about later on in the verse, uh, in the psalm. We do not choose that lifestyle. We decided we did not want that, so that's why we're here today. We're not living that kind of lifestyle. We're not walking in the counsel of the ungodly. We all know and have friends and family who are still of the world, who still could care less about serving God, and yet we do not walk with them in that lifestyle. We're concerned about eternity. We're concerned about our souls and the souls of other people. I am so thankful that God had provided a way for us, even from the very beginning, even before we came into this world as human beings, God had already prepared a place for us to spend eternity. And he gives us the opportunity to know the truth and to obey the truth so that we can spend eternity with him. He also lets us know in his word the consequences of not doing that. Oftentimes people talk about negative preaching and teaching. If you say anything negative about people going to hell, they don't like that. They don't like to hear that. I don't know how many times I've heard over the past several years that uh, people don't like the hell, fire, and brimstone sermons that used to be preached. Those are the kind I came up on. And you know those made an impression in my mind and in my heart that is probably responsible for me being here this morning. Because I know the terror of the Lord. I know what lies ahead for the person who does not serve God. I understand that. Yet, there are those who do not like to hear God's word. They like to have their own ideas about what God's word says so they can sleep at night. I don't like having to preach sermons that deal with people going to hell. As a, Brother Clay and I talked this morning, is, is, you know, these types of lessons. Brother Leon, I think I mentioned Brother Leon this morning about it's sad that we have to preach sermons like that. Because it's a fact, it's a reality that people will be lost. And our purpose in doing that is help them not be lost. That's the whole purpose behind it. But yet, a lot of people do not like to hear the truth. He goes on to talk about not standing in the way of sinners. In other words, not being joined with them. Not doing the things that they do. When a person comes back to God, if they've been out in the world either having been a, a faithful child and then leaving God or not having uh, obeyed God to start with, when they come to God, they separate themselves from the world. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to be part of the world in what they do. I oftentimes look around and I, I think it's so sad that so many people are unconcerned about their eternal destination. They have no clue. They're going through life, enjoying life as they can, and that is the number one priority with people nowadays. Have fun in life. I'm not against fun. I like to have fun. But I also like to have the thought, I know I'm going to be in heaven when I leave this world or when after Judgment Day. And I know that people have the idea that they're okay with God. They don't ever think about God. They don't ever do anything to serve God. But they're okay with God. Unfortunately, people have deceived themselves and they've had help along the way that tell them that they can just do whatever they want and God is full of love and when it's all said and done, God's just going to take everybody in. Well, that's not what God's Word says. 
And the psalmist knows that as he talks about the way of the ungodly as we get over into the uh, chapter. But he talks about not sitting in the seat of the scornful. How many people really hate God? There are people who hate religion. Just recently we've become aware of a group called Freedom From Religion. Think about that. Freedom From Religion. If they don't want to have anything to do with religion, that's fine. That's you know their choice. But why do they have to form a group to convince other people that they should be separated from religion? They hate religion. They hate the idea of God. We used to just talk about the atheists, and we understand that you know they have their own group, but I think this group has gone past the atheists. They're out militantly trying to convince people that they don't need to have religion. Freedom from religion. How many of you were forced to be here this morning? Now, I'm not talking about the little children. <laughs> You know, I, I used to think my mama forced me to go to church, you know, when I was wanting to sleep in on Sunday and she told me to get out of bed. Well, I didn't want to do that, but uh, if you're up in age, you understand that you're here because you want to be here. Nobody twisted your arm. So why would somebody want to have a group called Freedom From Religion? Well, I think it kind of goes back to that old saying, and I don't think they would agree with it, but misery loves company. Turn to Romans, the first chapter. As Paul writes the letter to the Romans, this first verse, uh, the first chapter is very, uh, very informing as far as attitude that people have and the way they view things. Uh, and he talks about the ungodly here. In verse 32, Romans 1.32, he's talking about the people that have turned their backs on God. People are not serving God. They, they're hateful and so on and so forth. He says, knowing, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. They like to have people that are right there doing the same thing, believing the same thing that they do. There's an old saying that, you know, kidding around about people and, and they're drinking. He said, well, he, he only drinks when he's by himself or with someone. That's, you know, we laugh at stuff like that. But then there are some people who do not want to drink by themselves. They want somebody right there with them. Not that they're saying, okay, I'm, I'm sinning and I want somebody to sin right along with me. I don't think that's the thought in their mind. But subconsciously, they're wanting somebody right there with them to help them feel better about what they're doing. That's what Paul says here. They have pleasure in them that do the same things. But the psalmist talks about the positive side of life, being happy for serving God. We see that he goes on to say in verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. I worked with a fellow one time and was trying to talk to him about Scripture on. He, he finally turned to me and said, I don't want to study the Bible. Well, as an American, he has that choice. But I don't think we as humans have that right. Because what Jesus said, Matthew 4, 4, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And what about the verses like what Peter says 
as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. As Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, that word study can mean a few different things, but it all is in the positive light. In the sense of not only studying God's word, but making dedication to studying God's word. Dedicating our lives to God's word. So people choose not to serve God. They choose not to have anything to do with his word. But the child of God ought to have a desire to study God's word. There are members of the Lord's church that have no desire to study the word. I've seen brethren not even bring a Bible to services. Well, that's okay if you're going to use one in the pew. But oftentimes, as a preacher, we see things that go on in the, in the congregation while we're preaching. And knowing that that person didn't bring a Bible to services and looking at that person and doesn't even pick up a Bible during the sermon or anything. I wonder what is going through that person's mind. Don't they care for God's word? As a lot of preachers say, I love to hear the pages turning. That's good. But we need a desire. As Peter said, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow by. You know why a lot of members are falling away and falling into denominationalism or going into churches, the Lord's church that are, are very liberal? They don't know the word. It, there's a saying that was given to the church or a title or whatever you want to call it back in the 50s, uh, Bible quoting, Bible toting people. Because when people met a member of the Lord's church, what did they get from them? Book, chapter, and verse. We're not that way anymore. We have laid down our Bibles and picked up the remote TV guide and anything else. I don't have time to study my Bible. How many hours of TV did we watch this week? I like TV. I watch TV. I'm not saying don't watch TV. But when people say, I don't have time, and knowing that they spent probably 15, 20, 30 hours that week watching TV, I think they need to read Assess their position. Desire the sincere. As he says here, but his delight, our happiness. How many of you feel good when you read the Bible? I do. It gives me a feeling. Now, I'm not talking about emotionalism. It is so different than anything else ever written. That when I read this, I have a different feeling about what I'm reading. My mind is thinking differently than when I'm just reading a book or reading an article that has nothing to do with religion. Because God's word not only is inspired, but it contains information that helps us live day by day. So I should delight in his law. Notice he says, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. What does the word meditate mean? Now we understand and through the years that when we talk about meditation, we get a picture of somebody sitting on the floor cross-legged with their arms out like this meditating. Well, that's a form of meditation, I guess, but we're talking about diligently looking at the Word. Not just a surface reading, we're talking about looking into the Word. Now, the type of, you can get different Bibles today. Study Bibles, devotional Bibles, and so on and so forth. And the particular one I have gives me numbers for Hebrew language and Greek language. So therefore, I can look it up and see what the definition is. How many times in life do we come across a word, reading any kind of an article or whatever, and we don't know what the meaning of that word is, and we just pass over it? What happens when we do that? We don't get the full understanding uh, of the 
author's intent if we don't know what it means. That's why it's important to know God's Word, His delight, meditate upon the Word. Notice what he says. Here, here's the blessing. This is what a tree, and, and I had this picture in my mind, when, when, and whenever I read this, it's the same old picture, how that some plants and uh, trees are lying along the rivers, and they constantly, if the river has water, they constantly have a source of water. And when we continually delve into God's Word, we have a continual source of spiritual nutrition that we begin to become more mature. You know, a person that's 80 years old, for example, being a member of the Lord's Church for, say, 60 years, can still grow. Some people have gotten to the point that say, well, this is what I am. I can't grow anymore. There are different ways of growing as Christians, but you can't grow if you don't take in the spiritual nutrition. He says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Continual nutrition. Delight in the word, meditate in the word, and we grow stronger. What happens to a plant or a tree, whatever, that gets a lot of nutrition as compared to one who doesn't. What about the root system? What about the soil? Does the soil have anything to do with the root system, whether it does okay or not? Yeah, we all understand that. We all understand that some things are very strong, especially when you get a weed in your yard and you need a tractor to pull it out. You know, you reach down, you know. The other day I had to take a little ax to one I had in my yard and just, I thought I was gonna pass out before I chopped that thing in two. Had some strength there. Why? Because it was in a good spot. We can only have strength if we meditate day and night. And he's saying, happy is the child of God that meditates day and night. Now, am I saying you have to go home and study every day and then study every night? That's not what I'm saying. You have to do that if you're in preacher school. <laughs> day and night. But that's a blessing. That's a pleasure to do that. And that's why when I was at Memphis School of Preaching, I oftentimes thought, what a great blessing that I could go and study every day and study for a length of time God's Word. I was fortunate. A lot of people don't have that kind of time, but yet we could still study God's Word regularly and in depth. Now, a few minutes remaining, he says, and he shall be like a tree. That tree is going to be strong. If we want to be strong Christians, if we want to be strong in our spiritual life to God, we need to be in the Word. That's all there is to it. Need to be in the Word. There's no substitute for it. I cannot grow spiritually if I don't take in spiritual nutrition. It just doesn't happen. It reminds me of that new commercial on TV, and Brenda and I laugh about it. The little boy sitting at the table, won't eat his vegetables. He looks to be, what, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight, something like that. And then they say something and go to a clip, and it's, a, it's an old man sitting there in the same clothes and everything. He didn't eat his vegetables, and he didn't grow. Same thing with spiritual food. If we don't take it in, we don't grow. And he goes on to say, The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff with the wind, which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. A contrast between right and wrong. The right way to go, as Jesus says, is the narrow way. Why is it narrow? That word straight there, Jesus talks about, 
straight way is a difficult way. He's not talking necessarily straight in a line, which, you know, we understand that that's, that's an analogy that we can use for that. But he is talking about it's difficult. Why is it difficult? Because people don't want to do it. They have the human will fighting against the spiritual will. But he goes on to say he knows the way of the righteous. We're there, God's children, doing what's right. We have heaven promised to us as long as we're faithful. But he says the ungodly are not so. They're not in that position. They're not in a position to receive the blessings of a child of God, whether in this world or the world to come. They're going to receive their just reward, but it's not going to be a good one. Psalm 1 is a beautiful psalm. It gives the Christian courage. It gives us hope. It gives us strength if we follow what he says. But it also lets us know what will happen to those who don't follow God. And if we decide not to follow God, it lets us know what's going to happen. The question this morning is, where are you in your relationship to God? Have you obeyed the gospel to a point where you're a child of God and you can enjoy these blessings of life and be happy in serving God? Or are you one who has never put on the uh, waters of baptism in order to become a child of God and therefore you're in the other camp, you're standing outside of God? You have to answer that question. I can't answer it for you. But this morning, even as a child of God, if you have not rendered obedience in the fact of being faithful, because that is a, an act of obedience, being faithful, if there's some reason why you've fallen away from God, you need to correct that this morning. But if you've never obeyed the gospel, you most definitely need to do that, because 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 says that those that do not know God and, are not, and do not obey the gospel will not be saved. They're going to suffer eternally. You don't have to let that happen. That's one of the greatest things about God giving us what he does. We can choose what's right. We don't have to suffer. We can have eternal life. But if you're one who needs to obey the gospel, you need to do that by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, willing to repent, confess Christ publicly, and be baptized for the mission of your sins. And then God will add you to his church. If you need to respond... For either one of those, we pray that you'll do so as we stand and sing.